As we come to God's Word this morning, let's just turn to the book of Luke, the second part series on these first 20 verses, and we're going to be reading Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, and then we'll be looking very closely at verses 15 to 20 this morning. So Luke chapter 3. Verses 1 to 20. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, sorry I'm back to that throat disease, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John, as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so with many exhortations he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, And because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. 
he locked John up in prison. In last week, in the passage last week, we saw that John had two tasks. God had given him two tasks when God's word came to him in the wilderness. And the first task was to prepare the people's hearts and to prepare the people for the Messiah by pointing them to their need and for the experience of true repentance. And he did that through preaching the gospel message to them. There was nothing else he preached. He didn't preach a feel-good message. He didn't preach a motivational message. He preached the gospel message to them. And the proof which had to be seen by the fruits that they had to bear And that challenge came to us last week, as it has to me for the whole rest of this last week, in everything I've been doing, and this is the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verses 18 to 21. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This whole week, and everything I've been doing, that has been ringing in my ears. And I'll tell you, I've got a few fruit that the Lord has to sort out in that. I don't know about you. Well, that was John's first task, to point the people to the Messiah and to true repentance. And his second task was to introduce the people to this Messiah who was about to appear on the stage. And he paints a vivid picture of this Messiah. This Messiah they will meet in a very, very short while. If you look in your Bibles, there is Jesus next on the scene. Now the people didn't know who he was yet, but he paints, John paints a picture for them of who this Messiah is and his role he will play in their salvation. That was his second task. And we find in verse 15, it says there that the people were in great expectation. Literally, it says there, while the people were on tiptoe of expectation. You see, what they'd seen here was this man, John, preaching a powerful gospel message and hardened soldiers and devious tax collectors had come through and They were convicted of their sin and they went through the waters of baptism and these very same hardened soldiers were saying to him, so what must we do now? You see, they saw the effect and they said to us, what now? Is this perhaps the Messiah? You see, they had a sense of expectation. John came preaching a powerful and a convicting message. And very soon in people's minds, these stories that they'd been hearing in the vicinity already about this prophet started coming to mind again. His sudden appearance among them, dressed in camel clothes with his big belt, eating locusts and honey. It's not normal. His rigorous life of self-denial, his stern call to conversion, especially when I heard what he said to the Pharisees, This man is unusual. And especially when they noticed that he was baptizing Jews. You don't do that. They are children of Abraham, aren't they? And he was calling these very self-same Jews 
to not depend on being children of Abraham, but to depend on whether they've been turned to new life in their hearts. And then go through the waters of baptism. They had a sense of expectation. They also knew what the prophets had said, that a Messiah will appear. And so they're asking him, they started asking themselves, is this perhaps the Messiah? You see, they had an expectant attitude. Can I just stop there in brackets again? What is your and my attitude towards the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have an expectant attitude as well? Or do you kind of read the Count of Monte Cristo, the Bible, and then the Wanganui Chronicle, and it doesn't make any difference? Do we have a sense of expectation of what God can and will do amongst us when we come and we read his word? Or is it just another book we read? These people had a sense of expectation. Verse 16, John very, very quickly turns them away from himself and points them again to the Messiah. You see, here was a a little moment in his career where he could have said, actually, you know, I am quite good, aren't I? But there is a Messiah coming. He could have said that as many do today. But he doesn't, you see. He immediately turns their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He deliberately points him to Christ instead of himself to put all these thoughts out of their heads and to point to them that he is a mere man. And he contrasts himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, one is coming, verse 16, who is mightier than I. Yes, I might sound full of conviction and I might preach powerful sermons, but there is one coming who is much mightier than I. You see, I am not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal in preparation to wash his feet as a servant. I'm unworthy of that. He is the mighty one who is coming. Who am I? says John. And you see, John was great in God's eyes because he was small in his own eyes. He was great in God's eyes because he was small in his own eyes. We cannot be used by God if we are great in our own eyes. God will only use us when we know who he is and who we are. Any true minister of God always points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never, never to himself. And then you go and watch TV. And you see those TV evangelists, some of them, not all of them, some of them. And who do they point to? Me, myself, and I. Oh, and by the way, there is a gospel message. I might bring it in if there's time when I finish speaking about myself. Don't you see that? I see it and I weep. These men are looked up to, and women, they are looked up to to see that they will preach the message. And what do they do? They speak about themselves. You see, a true minister of God always points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is great. I am small. And God lifts up the humble of hearts. A very short time later we see that John is the one who is chosen by Almighty God to baptize the Messiah himself. John is the one who is chosen. God raises him up. But here John paints a powerful word picture of Jesus Christ. He says he is the one who has life in one hand and judgment in the other. 
This is the Messiah that you are about to expect. Verse 16, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I can only baptize you with water, physical element in front of me, but he will baptize you with something that's spiritual, the Holy Spirit and with heavenly fire. You see, John could only bring the message of salvation to people and then leave it with them. And he could only baptize people in water, those who confess their sins. That's all he could do. He couldn't see their hearts. He couldn't change their hearts. But this Messiah, this one that he's pointing to, he would be able to take that gospel message and to make it alive in people. And he would be able to bring actual change in their hearts. He would be able to turn those hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hearts that were responsive to God. He would bring regeneration, that is new life. He would bring cleansing through the work of the Spirit and His holy fire. Jesus would be able to do that. John couldn't, he was just a man. And so he contrasts himself with the Messiah to make very clear in people's minds, I am not the Messiah, but He is coming. Are you ready? When he speaks about the baptism with the Spirit and fire, There are three applications we need to take note of here this morning. The first one is, he speaks about what happens inside someone when they are drawn out of darkness into God's marvelous light. When he or she is baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit and with God's fire. You see, at the moment of conversion, what does God do? He takes away sin from our hearts and He places His Holy Spirit in us as the one who keeps us on the road, the one who brings about that change. He puts His Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit with His holy fire purges sin from us. He burns it away out of us. The Spirit regenerates. He brings life where there was none. And then, like with fire, he purifies us by removing the pollution of sin in our lives. That's what the Spirit does. We are filled with the Spirit. It doesn't teach a second baptism of the Spirit. Let me be clear here today. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive him in his fullness. Yes, at times, he comes upon us. And we sense him in his fullness as if he's right there with us. He envelops us. Yes, we experience those times. But is it a whole new baptism of the Spirit? No. He's always there. It's us that have got sin in our lives. It is us that are not attentive to what he's doing in us. He is always there. Yes, at times, he gives us the energy. He gives us the ability to do very specific things for him. He gives us the words in specific situations. He gives us the insight and the ability to speak to someone and to speak words to someone that no one else could have known except what the Spirit had told us. Yes, He does that. But He's always there. It's never a second thing that comes upon us. As is wrongly taught. He fills us once and for all. But there's a second element here about the baptism with the Spirit and the fire. And that is because John is a prophet. John is also predicting 
that one day, the day of Pentecost would happen. Acts chapter 2. God would send His Spirit so dramatically to all those believers who were gathered together and tongues of fire appeared above their heads as a sign of His presence with them. You see, Johnny is a prophet. Yes, he's a messenger and a preacher, but he's also a prophet. And God had revealed to him that one day the Spirit would come upon believers for the very first time in this very special way in the New Testament and they would be illumined with a new spiritual insight. Look at Peter's sermon that we heard earlier. That was filled with spiritual insight that the Spirit had given to him. And these believers were filled with an unheard of love for one another. You go and look at Acts chapter 2. They shared everything they had with their brothers and their sisters. That was the work of the Spirit. And John points to that day that would come soon. But there's a third element here. As a prophet, he also predicts that day in the future when Jesus Christ would cleanse the earth with fire, both to purify and in judgment, both his wrath and his grace displayed. Malachi chapter 3. John predicts that right here. And we'll get to why we say that because of his description in verse 17. And you see, those who are unwilling to submit to the cleansing of Christ's fire in this life will submit to Christ's judgment in the next. They will not have an option. You will face the Lord as judge. How do we know that? It's in God's Word. Next verse. Verse 17. How does he describe this Lord Jesus Christ? And if you've never seen this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, Take notes. You're in this church service this morning and the Lord is bringing it to your attention through His Word. This is also a picture of Him and it's not often preached anymore. You just hear sermons about Jesus, the one who is full of love. Never about the judge. His winnowing fork is in His hand to thoroughly clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I want you to do a little English lesson here now. Go and look at all those words, his. Who's in control? The Lord Jesus Christ. His winnowing fork. He's the judge. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear whose threshing floor is it. It's his threshing floor. He is in control of what happens. And to gather the wheat into his barn. Take courage from that. As believers, one day we will be gathered, if you are a believer in Christ, you will be gathered into his barns because our Lord is the Almighty One. He will be in control on that terrible day. He will be in control. They are his barns too. He keeps precious things in those barns. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, we need to understand a little bit about the process of separating wheat from chaff. And uh, we're going to step back a little bit into the Old Testament times. You had the threshing floor, and I think we've got a picture over there. Sometimes they were natural pieces of flat rock that people could use, but most times they weren't. And people had to prepare these surfaces, they had, these surfaces. They had to pack them hard. They had to wet them down, pack them hard and make them smooth. Then they'd put a little ridge of rocks around just to keep the grain inside. And it was usually situated on the crest of a hill or someone where there was a bit of wind. On my place would be an ideal spot. 
where I stay. Alright? And what they then do is they bring these sheaves of grain and they were either barley or wheat and they'd spread them out on the threshing floor. Just see the picture in your mind. And then there were two ways of separating the wheat from the chaff. They would either drive a cattle beast or a donkey with a small sled behind it that was studded with stones. They would drive it round and round and round crushing these these sheaves of wheat or barley. Or if they didn't have the luxury of an animal to use, they would take a special whip made with weights in it, much like they whipped people with, by the way, and they would thrash these these sheaves of barley and wheat until they were broken up into pieces. And then they'd get their winnowing fork, and there's a good picture, I think we got one over there, of a winnowing fork. They would scoop up this chaff, uh, sorry, this chaff, this mixture of grain and chaff, and they would chuck it up into the air, and then this breeze would separate out. It would blow away the lighter chaff onto a pile, and the wheat would fall down. Grain would fall down because it's heavier. And so to separate it. You see, one thing we need to understand about that process too. Once they started it, they had to finish. Once you put out all your sheaves on this floor, you had to finish that process. Because you couldn't leave it. If it rained, the whole crop was spoiled. And so once they started this process, it had to be completed. And they would make sure that whole floor was cleared. Because you didn't want to leave any grain behind. It was real precious stuff to them. It was food. It was valuable. And so this is how grain and chaff were separated. He paints this picture because he says Christ is going at his return on that specific day of judgment. He is going to thoroughly clear his threshing floor. The words he uses here are he's going to purge his threshing floor. He's going to clear it out completely. Do you get the picture? Not one bit of grain is going to be left behind. Not one bit of chaff is going to be left behind either. He will clear it. And once he starts that process, no one will escape. He will separate those who have new life in him from those who have rejected him. There's only those two camps. Those who have accepted him and those who have rejected him. And he will do that not by looking at the clothes we wear or the ties we wear or the Bible in your hand. No, he's not going to listen to the words you speak. He's going to look directly into our hearts. Remember in Ezekiel we read, he is the one who searches our hearts. And he can't make mistakes, you see. He can see the heart. And he is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And he will gather the wheat, those who are his, into his barn as a precious treasure. He will look after you. Not one grain will escape. Every grain will be gathered into his barn. But at the same time, he will burn up the chaff. All those who have rejected him through all the ages will appear before him. And he will burn them with everlasting and unquenchable fire. It's not going to stop. Somehow, I don't know how, they will carry on burning and going through his judgment. It is unquenchable fire. These aren't my words. I'm not trying to make people scared. These are God's words and they're words of warning to you and I. We're either wheat 
or we chow. I've put two signs up as you go out the doors. You can only get out those doors unless you climb out a window today. And you've got to know in your heart, am I chaff or am I wheat? There's only two. And when you walk through those doors, you need to, before the Lord, know, am I chaff or am I wheat today? Not do I want to be, what am I today? You see, the truth is, and if this is all you hear this morning, listen to this please. This is such a warning to us as a church. The visible church today, those we can see in our services, is not the true church of Christ. Believers and unbelievers, holy and unholy, the converted and the unconverted, are mingled together in every single congregation, including this one. And it's impossible for man to separate them. You see, I, as a pastor here, cannot see your heart. I wish I could, but I can't. Only you know where you stand before the Lord. And you can put on all the right appearances. You can have the biggest Bible with me. I dare you, have a bigger one than me. You can have a bigger Bible than me. You can dress the neatest here or not. You can go through all those motions. But God knows whether you are chaff or wheat. Only He knows. I can't. And you might be able to fool us and the rest of these people here for your whole life in this church. And it might even go through to your funeral. We might make a fantastic funeral for you because we think that you are a believer. We might have a mighty send-off here, but all the time you are going not to heaven, but to hell. God can see the heart. We can't. J.C. Ryle said it like this. Listen to these words. False profession is often so like truth. And grace is often so weak and feeble. He's speaking about believers. That in many cases, the right discernment of character is an impossibility. The wheat and the chaff will continue together until the Lord returns. But there will be an awful separation at the last day. The unerring judgment of the King of Kings shall at length divide the wheat from the chaff and divide them forevermore. The religious shall, sorry, the righteous, not the religious, the righteous shall be gathered into a place of happiness and safety. Take courage in that today. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has done a great work in your life, there will come that day when all your suffering will be over and you will be in a place of happiness and safety. No one will ever be able to snatch you out of that barn or out of the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ again. The fight will be over for you. You will live in happiness and security the rest of your existence, which will be forever. Take courage. But the wicked shall be cast down to shame and everlasting contempt. In that great sifting day, and that's why I called the sermon that this morning, the great sifting day, everyone shall go to his own and his correct and his just place. God won't make a mistake. And so I need to ask you that question as someone appointed to stand before you here this morning. In Christ. Does all his, when he does his all piercing and his all sifting, 
uh, sorry, his all-knowing sifting one day, when he does that sifting one day, where will you fall? With the chaff or with the wheat? There is no religious category. And so we find in verse 18 here, John brings in consolation and warning. You see, often and always in Scripture, where there is judgment, there is always God's mercy at the very same time. There is never one without the other. Where God's judgment exists, there is His mercy. John's warning is filled with mercy, verse 18. And its purpose is to bring people to the point of conversion. It says there he continued to bring many other exhortations before the people. What did he do? He confronted them with the gospel message. And he might have come at it from various angles, but in the end, he brought them the gospel message because that's all man needs to be saved. He can't be saved by anything else. Unfortunately today, people try and use so many other methods and they forget the gospel message. There's all kinds of books written about evangelism. How to influence people for Christ. But if they don't include the gospel message, they are false messages. Listen to that. When you listen on TV, when you watch and listen what that person's saying, ask yourself, are they bringing the gospel message? If not, switch off, change channel. It's a false message. You see, John confronted them with the gospel. That is what men need to be saved. Verses 19 to 20, John's message reaches the highest echelons of society. Even Herod himself heard what John had to say. See, no man was exempted from God's grace or God's judgment. And Herod, in response, rebuked John at a stage. And Luke doesn't actually bring this into his gospel Because for the purposes of Luke, he wants to get on to Christ and his ministry. He kind of wants to finish off with John the Baptist quickly. I just have to say the necessary and then I can get on to Jesus Christ. That's Luke's intention. And so we go to Matthew and other places to find out what happened to John. But later John was confronted by Herod. And John confronted Herod on his relationship, his illicit relationship with a family member his incestuous relationship with Herodias. Both Herod and Herodias had to leave their present marriages to get married. And then they lived together in this incestuous relationship and they thought no one would say anything because Herod was king. But John did. And it isn't the first time in history where a person in authority tries to get rid of someone who's a source of accountability. It's happened many times throughout history. John is one too. And in the end, John paid the ultimate price. Herod had him killed. Because he didn't want to accept that message. He turned his back on not just John. He turned his back on his message. He turned his back on the Messiah. He turned his back on the saving gospel. And so we must know where Herod is today. And so I need to ask you and I, and I speak to myself as much as I do to you this morning, four questions. And again, I ask the the Holy Spirit to do work in you as he has in me this week. And the first question I need to ask you is this. Have you experienced the work of Christ 
the life giver in your heart. Have you experienced it, literally? Has His Spirit brought new life in you and has He done His work of purifying you with holy fire? How will you know that? Because every now and then in your life He will point out things through your conscience when you read God's Word and you will know, this isn't right in my life. I've got to do something about it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've never experienced the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, then my friend, I say to you this morning, Go back and ask the Lord, am I born again? Show me, Lord, am I born again? Because if you are, you will experience the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Secondly, are you confident that when Christ sifts the wheat from the chaff, you will be gathered into his barn as wheat and not winnowed out and burned as chaff? And then the follow-up question to that is, what do you rest your confidence in? You say, yes, I'm confident. What do you rest your confidence in? Is it in the Spirit's continuing work in you that you experience? Or is it your own strength and abilities? Yes, I can be a godly person. Because if you are resting on that, that is a false message. It's a false hope. Third question I've got to ask you this morning is this. Is your faith real? I'm speaking to us as a church here. Is your faith real? How do I know that? Last week's message. Is there fruit in your life? There will be fruit. But the question is, is it good fruit or bad fruit? Every tree bears fruit. And if you don't see good fruit in your life, You need to know what Jesus said. You will recognize them by their fruit. And if it's just bad fruit in your life, guess what? You're probably not a believer. So go back to God and plead for mercy. His grace is available to every single one of us. He doesn't say, no, those are too bad fruit. I don't look at those types of fruit. No, he says to every single one of us, come to me and find life and find forgiveness and find mercy. His judgment is always there. And his mercy is with us. I want to plead with you this morning, as Americans say, don't kid yourself. Don't go on tricking yourself through your whole life that you are a Christian, when in actual fact you're not. Go and make sure. Last question, fourthly. Maybe you're sitting here as we've read already, and heard this morning, and you are not saved. You see, even today, there is still time for you to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, to confess your sin before Him, and then to be saved. What must you do? Accept the gospel call today. Jesus says, come. What must you do? Come. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Do you dare to turn your back on Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know how long you'll live? None of us knows that. Do you dare to turn your back on Christ? You see, this very message today, you've been brought into this building, is yet another billboard, a massive big billboard, sent by God to you on your pathway of life. To say to you, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah chapter 55. 
Call upon him. Don't delay. Don't turn your back on him and his message. Why not? The thread of your life is not yet cut, as someone has said. The thread of your life is not yet cut. You are still sitting here and you are breathing. But it is growing increasingly thin and brittle. And if you stand in front of the mirror, you will see that. How do you know you've got another day? We don't, you see. How do you know you've got more minutes when you walk out here? We don't know. Our life is thin and brittle, but the door of grace is still open to you. As you sit here this morning, and he says to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, come to me and live. We want to give you a chance this morning. We're going to be gathering in front of the Lord's table. And it is a time for business. It is a time for business with the Lord. If you are not a believer here today, don't partake. But come on your knees before the Lord. Cry for forgiveness. And if you are a believer here today, thank the Lord for His mercy and His grace towards you. But do business with Him. And if you need to come and pray with one of us, and ask us, how do I come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Show me. Pray with me. Then we'll do that. But you need to stay. You need to come. Otherwise it won't happen. And if you want to go home and pray about it, I pray for God's mercy as you travel from here home. That he won't take your life. This is not scared talk. This is reality. God's word brings it to us. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes in your word you put up those warning signs to us and here is one this morning. A massive big watch out sign. And it comes through your prophet John. The one who lived so many years ago but is now dead and yet his words remain here for us to learn by. And in your providence and in your timing you've brought these words before us this morning. And Lord, I pray for every single person sitting here today. They either know you or they don't know you. And Lord, for those that know you, I pray that you will comfort them with this knowledge that you will not leave one grain of wheat outside of that barn, but that you will completely purge that threshing floor and that they will be gathered to you one day. No one will be left behind. And Lord, I pray for any here that do not yet know you, that in your grace and in your mercy, you would save them today, that they would respond to that call of the gospel. Come to me and be saved, says the Lord. Lord, I pray, do your work through your spirit, who is right here present with us this morning. Amen.